Guys, Travis was actually my first Connect Group leader when I was a sophomore and a schmuck, and he's the gift that keeps on giving to Salt City Church. We love Travis. He's the best. I hope you guys are doing well. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm one of the college pastors here. I have the opportunity to serve, love, and lead the Salt Company in the city of St. Paul, and it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. As I was thinking about kind of what this last year of ministry looked like for us, I was actually thinking back to a moment in one of our BWP services, which is our baptism services, where Terry Langland, who's one of our elders and also goes by Crooked T, is his nickname, best nickname in history, during a testimony just goes like this, boom, and just holds it there, and we're like, gosh, it's amazing, because he's either fist pumping to God or fist bumping God, and either one is amazing, and so... That's what this year has felt like for us, and, and honestly, Terry is the best. So excited to be here with you guys. We're going to be opening up the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles with you, would love if you would open it up to Exodus chapter 28. We, that's where we're going to be starting this morning. As we open up the text, I wanted to ask you guys a question if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, I don't belong here, okay, where the imposter syndrome is real, where you get into the moment and you're like, I really don't belong here. I was thinking back to a moment that I had when I was in high school. I used to be a swimmer, and this isn't like anything against swimmers, but swimmers, I was just really unathletic, so that's the only sport I could do. And I was, I was back in high school, and I'm already 5'7". When I was a freshman, I was like 4'7", and I was very bad at swimming. But I remember this moment where essentially everyone, their moms and their cousins got the flu at the same time. So I got pulled up to the varsity relay, and that was terrifying for a lot of different reasons, but mostly because I was with the three best seniors on the team, and I was like shaking, I didn't have boots on, but I would have been shaking in my boots. And I was thinking to myself, there's no way that I belong here. Okay, so I had an imposter syndrome, there's no way that I belong there. And I think in the Christian life, there's actually this tension that we face where we all want to spend time in the presence of God. We want to be people that are surrounded by the beauty of God in his presence, but there's often a feeling inside of us where we're like, we don't belong there. There's actually this, this tension inside of us. And I don't know if you guys feel this, but, but it's often when I'm just ashamed of my own sin and my lack of devotion to Christ. And I think, man, there's no way that I would belong in the presence of God. And this morning, as we look at Exodus chapter 28, the Israelites would have been in a similar scenario. As they're looking at the tabernacle delivered by God and built, and, and as Jordan explained last week, that that's where God would dwell. They would have looked at the tabernacle and said, I don't belong there. And so this morning, the good news for those of us in Exodus and for those of us here this morning is that God has made a way into his presence. And if God has made a way, then it actually doesn't matter whether or not we think we belong there, but it's actually God's invitation to us. So as we open up the text this morning, let me pray that all of us would enter into the presence together. Father, we just believe that the presence you offer us is not contingent on our ability, not contingent on our devotion, not contingent on our discipline, but contingent specifically on the way that you invited us in. Lord, we want to be people at Salt City that recognize that your presence is open, that your presence is beautiful, that your presence is inviting, and that we are invited in your presence by the way of the blood. And so, Father, we pray this morning that this would be a moment that all of us would feel the presence of God in this room and that we would be encouraged this week to enter in with nothing held back, no barriers between us, and that we would trust that you're inviting us in this morning. In your name we pray, amen. 
All right, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. There are two ways that in this text God offers us a way into his presence. And the first way is the garment, and the second way is the sacrifice. Let me read verses 1 through 5. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Ahibu, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all of the skillful, all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments, garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. And they shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Okay, guys, we are going to be spending a minute in the sermon talking about priestly garments, which I get is a little bit outdated, okay? But there's actually, yeah, I know, but there's actually a really beautiful symbolism and, and a protective nature of these priestly garments and something that has something to say about God's character and his provision for us. And so let's begin with the symbolism. So I think I have a picture of us, a picture of the priest, not of us, but you know, the high priest. Okay. So we're going to be talking about a couple different characteristics or the couple different pieces that the priest would have worn. If we look in verse 4, we see that there is a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat, and a turban, and a sash. I want to focus in on the ephod, okay? So an ephod is basically a huge apron that he wears. And the reason why it's important for us to understand this is because on the shoulders of the apron, that would like go pretty far down, each one of the shoulders had a stone. And on the stone was engraved six names of the tribes of Israel. Okay, so this is why this is really symbolic. It's not just the clothes that the priest was wearing, but the clothes are pointing to the role of the priest, that the priest was meant to be an intercessor, someone who was to speak on behalf of all of the tribes of Israel. And the reason why this is important is because at this time, there was something called representative headship, that as the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, he would be literally wearing the names of the people of Israel. So as the people are sitting there, as they're watching the priest consecrate himself and enter into the tabernacle, they would have said, that's Aaron, my high priest, and he's got my name on his shoulders. But the second thing that we see is actually the breast piece. Verse 15 calls it the breast piece of judgment, which is amazing. But on that breast piece were 12 different stones that represented each one of the tribes of Israel, further displaying to the people of God that as Aaron enters into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, he was bearing upon their weight of sin and judgment on his breastpiece and on his shoulders. The second thing I want to point out, and this might not be super clear, but if you look at the color and the material of the priestly garments, they are one for one with the actual inside of the tabernacle. So what's really, really cool is the priest would be clothed in these beautiful colors and beautiful garments, partly to show that he was set apart made holy like the tabernacle. He was a man who was made perfect and holy by the clothes that he wore himself. So that's why it was symbolic. It was showing this representative headship nature that he had with the people of Israel. But the second thing that it was showing was actually the protective nature of the garments. And that's because Aaron, although he was a holy man, a man who was after God's heart, he was also a sinful man. And here's what we understand about the story of Exodus so far, that a sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And as they enter into the presence, their sin would actually require judgment immediately. So here's what was different about Aaron. Although he was sinful, God had given him a garment. And that garment would protect him from the damage that could be caused 
to him the death that was waiting for him in the presence. Verse 43, which is the last verse of this chapter as it kind of outlines all of the garments. There are a lot of different things about it. I highly recommend reading it. It says this, And they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. They shall be a statute forever and for his offspring after him. See, if Aaron were to enter into the holy place, the presence of God, without the garments on, he would die. And this is one of the central themes of the Bible, actually, is how do sinful people enter into the presence of a holy God? How do sinful people, where their sin requires judgment, enter into the presence of a holy God who has nothing to do with sin? This is one of the answers in this moment, is that God in his grace gives Aaron a garment. And so here's one of the things that I would love for you to write down if you're taking notes on this passage, is that the garment that was given was a physical representation of God's grace. See, God did not have to give Aaron this garment, but he desired to know Aaron. He desired to invite him into his presence. He desired communion with him and the people of Israel. So in his grace, God gave him the garment. Okay, we just talked about garments for a long time. But as I was reading this and I was studying this, there was actually something that stuck out to me that it wasn't that Aaron was holy and then he put on the garment to get into the presence. It's that God gave him the garment to put on, made him clean, and then he entered into the presence. See, the reason why I say that is because I think there's an order of operations things that happens in the Christian life. I think most of us would believe theologically that when we're saved, we're saved by the garment of grace, but we're sustained by our own discipline. We're sanctified by our own ability We enter into the presence when we feel like we're worthy enough to enter into the presence. But this is the the beautiful thing, that when God creates a garment for us of grace, it's both the thing that saves us, sustains us, invites us into the presence, and holds us for the rest of our lives. And none of us need to create our own seamstress type of vibe, you know? We don't need to create our own garments to put on. You don't have to be disciplined or devoted in order to enter into the presence of God this morning. And, And the reason why I say that is because my temptation it's to actually push God away because I'm afraid that he'll reject me when I enter into his presence. When I'm disappointed in myself, I often project that upon God and I say to God, I, I haven't been very disciplined recently or I've struggled with not loving my wife well or I'm struggling with lust. Of course, I couldn't enter into your presence. But it's actually in the presence that God reminds us of his character. And like God gave Aaron this grace-filled garment, he invites us into that garment-filled life this morning. I think one of the lies that I I often believe is that God only wants to be with me when I want to be with him. And I think oftentimes the Christian life doesn't feel that way. I think if we're all honest, there are moments and days and weeks in your life that you haven't wanted to be with God, but his invitation is always clear. Put on the garment, I will make you holy, and you can be in my presence. So here's kind of the application for this point this morning is that what we see that the singular prerequisite to enter into the presence of God is not our devotion, our discipline, our works, or our goodness, but actually simply the garment of grace. Okay, so that was the first way into the presence through the garment, but let's look at the second way through the sacrifice in Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. Okay, so it's near the end of chapter 29, but if you want to open up with me there, that'd be great. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar Two lambs a year old by day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. 
And the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour, mingled with the flour of a hen of beaten oil, and the flour, and the fourth of a hen of wine for drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with the Lord. And this shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of the meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons will, I will consecrate to serve as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who has brought them out of the land of Egypt and that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay, so this text this morning is priestly garments and animal sacrifice. Okay, so very exciting. But we're going to be looking a little bit at the sacrificial system. And this is what the passage outlines. It's in a very simple term, here's what the priests would do. They would put on the holy garments. They would be consecrated to be made clean. They would enter into the presence, and they would sacrifice an animal, an animal that would actually represent the sin that they've committed and the sin that the people of Israel have committed. In verses 15 and 19, this is a little bit before in the chapter. I would really recommend reading it. But basically, there's this moment where there's, a, um, there's an edict for the priests. Whereas they received the animal, what they were called to do was to lay their hand on the head of the animal. And here's what that was symbolizing, that they were transferring their sin upon that of the lamb. Now, I think most of us, when we tend to think of the sacrificial system in our modern day, tend to think of it as a list of regulations and rules that we need to get by in order to get to the good stuff of Christianity, to the good stuff of Jesus and the redemptive history that he has caused. But what I want to pause here and say is there's actually something really beautiful about this system. See, this system represents the radical mercy of God. That the most clear example would be, or the most clear and logical conclusion was that as Aaron stepped into the presence of God, that he would be struck dead for the punishment of his sins. And yet God, in his mercy, provides another way. A lamb instead of Aaron. A lamb instead of the people. I wanted to touch on something that I think was really impactful to me as we look at this text. It is to a modern audience, the sacrificial system seems like a little bit odd. It might even see abrasive or aggressive, but to that audience, the sacrificial system would have been very normal. In fact, there were many sacrificial systems of that day where they would sacrifice animal to lowercase g, lowercase g, gods, okay? So the Egyptian sacrificial system would be an example of this, where they would trade an animal to the sun god for more sun. Or they would trade an animal to the rain god for more rain. And it was essentially this cosmic vending machine that they would give an animal to receive something back. What would have shocked the Israelites about this sacrificial system is that that of Yahweh was so different than that of the gods of Egypt. See, the god of Yahweh didn't want just things to be, didn't want material transference. He actually wanted a relationship with them. And so there's this climactic moment in the chapter of chapter 29 where he kind of talks about the point of the sacrificial system, the essence of the sacrificial system, the goal of the sacrificial system, and that is to speak to them. Look with me to verse 42. And it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations, and at the entrance of the tent um, of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. See, the reason why I think we need to slow down and focus in on the sacrificial system is not only does it show the mercy of God, that he would trade the life of Aaron for a life of a lamb, but it also shows the intimacy of God. That from Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament God, the New Testament God, all, I mean, same God, right? 
Yahweh has always desired a relationship with us. And the goal of the sacrificial system in his case, in Yahweh's system, was not material transference, but it was actually intimacy because he wants to speak to them as a father and a friend. As we kind of wrap things up on this text, I want to remind us that this is the beauty of God's grace for us. That by grace he gave us the garment, by grace he gave us the sacrificial system, and by grace he invited us into relationship with him. Nothing that he had to do but everything that he chose to do to invite us into intimacy with God. The problem with this system, actually, though, was that this was a system that was incomplete. See, God's heart for relationship with his people were simply too big for one priest at one time, once a year, but he actually desired relationship with all the people with every person he's ever created, and he wanted to open the door up wide so that the presence of God could be experienced by all of us. And so here's what he did. He opened up the way by not just making a way by the garment and not just making a way by the sacrifice of a lamb, but making a way by the true high priest and the sacrifice of his son. Look with me to Hebrews 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, and then greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the mean of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, so the whole book of Hebrews is basically answering this question. How can, whole, how can simple people be in the presence of God? And the answer is that Jesus came as a true and ultimate high priest. And, and see, the, 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 sorry, that was a bit of a, bit of a stutter. Jesus came as our ultimate high priest, and here's how he differed from the high priest in this text in Exodus 28. See, Jesus didn't have to put on beautiful garments that resembled the tabernacle. He didn't have to put on clothes to make him holy and perfect because he was already holy and perfect. He already resembled the tabernacle, so instead of putting on clothes on the cross, he would be stripped of his clothes. His holy garments would be taken off himself so that as he died, we too could experience and put on the holy garments that he gave for us. And unlike the high priest in Exodus 29, he didn't push his hand into the head of a lamb to transfer his sins because he had no sins. But God the Father pushed the sins of the world into his head. See, the beauty of Jesus being the high priest is that he is a far greater high priest and he was ushering in a new covenant to give us the presence of God, not just for one person at one time in one place, but to actually get, offer the presence of God to everyone. And Hebrews 9 says this, that he was able to secure an eternal redemption for those who believe in him. Eternal redemption, because the problem with the high priest of this day and of Aaron is that Aaron would once die, and many more would come after him, and they would continue to die and offer sacrifices for their own sins, but Jesus would never die. As he rose again, he would offer one eternal sacrifice to give to the people, and then he would rise to the right hand of the Father, continuing to intercede on our behalf. And as he died, he closed us with the garments of grace and righteousness so that we too could be clothed in Christ. And here's what happened to us, Salt City. If you are in Christ, at the death of Christ and at your belief, you are robed with the high priestly garments, the garments of righteousness. And here's what you become. 1 Peter 2 says that you become a royal priesthood. See, what's true is you no longer have to be afraid as you enter into the presence of God because the judgment that would have come to you at the presence for your sin was already covered by the blood of Jesus. 
And not only do you enter into the presence of God, but as a holy priest, the spirit of God actually dwells in you. You become a walking and living tabernacle, a tent where God is in and meeting others. This is the beautiful calling that we have, that we have become a royal priesthood. And as we conclude, here's what I want us to remember. On the cross, Jesus became naked so that you could be clothed. And on the cross, he bore our sins so that your sins would no longer have to kill you. Jesus is our ultimate high priest. And because this is true, Salt City, because it is true that Jesus has been our high priest, let's finish by reading Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, our anthem as Christians. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, here's the application of the sermon this morning. That no matter what you have walked in here with this morning, no matter sin or shame or brokenness that you've carried in with you, Jesus has been your high priest, so now you can draw near to the presence of God with full confidence and joy. Let me pray. Yeah, Father, so thankful that the presence you offer us is not for one man at one time once a year, but the presence you offer us expanded from that to all of us in this room. We have access to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, the great high priest. And Lord, I just pray that whatever's holding us back from entering into the presence this morning, that you, Father, would usher us in, that you would remind us that it's not about our devotion, our discipline, or our ability that allows us into the presence of God, but simply the garment of grace. Father, help us to believe that your grace is sufficient for us, that your power is made perfect in our weakness, and that as we have nothing else to prove or nothing else to put on, that we can put on the garment of grace and be ushered into your presence this morning. In your name we pray, amen.